What you want is someone who knows the properties of the Botox they're using mm. and can look at the muscles in your face because remember, every time I treat you, Alison, your face has changed. It has literally changed. Your muscles have changed. The way they move have changed. And they've changed because, A, you and I both changed them. Mm. And, B, because you're getting older and you've had different stresses. And do you know what I mean? So you need to look at each person's face every time as if it's brand new. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self, with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast, and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create, and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind, and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more, or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. My next guest is a man I've come to know very well over the last six years. Dr. Jeremy Cumston. I want to be really clear with my intention behind creating this episode. It does not advocate for or encourage injectables like Botox and filler. Instead, it seeks to act as an educational resource for anyone who wants to get informed. I get a lot of DMs about Botox. If to do it, when to do it, how much to do, how often to do it, and who to see. I'm obviously not qualified to answer any of those questions, and so I wanted to share this platform with someone who is. He's the doctor I see and the only one I trust. I've always been really honest about my personal choice to get Botox two or three times a year. I know many women are against it, and that makes this episode a bit daunting, I guess. All I ask is we don't sit in judgment. This episode might not be for you, and that's okay. At the time of recording in late 2019, I'm 34 and I've been seeing Dr. Jeremy for six years. In the lead up to trying for a baby, I've stopped and I'm not entirely sure I'll do it again. You'll hear that in this episode. The main reason I was so passionate about having this honest conversation with Dr. Jeremy is the lack of safety information available and increasingly the amount of underqualified injectors offering cosmetic Botox and filler to young women usually in package deals and working on commission per unit or mill injected. It's really scary. Dr. Jeremy answers every question you've likely ever had about Botox and filler. He also briefly discusses other anti-aging treatments like Beauty Boost and the fat reduction treatment Belkyra. His advice is all based around his treatment style, which is to undertreat or not treat at all. Less is more, less is more less is more. He's gentle, knowledgeable, honest, and his use of language almost makes his profession sound romantic. Almost. Here's Dr. J and I for Offline. Mm. 
So I worked out that I've been seeing you for, I think, six years. Wow. I know. <laughs> really? Well, you, you don't look a day over 12. You can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually in a really playful mood, so we'll see where this goes. <laughs> um, but you originally came recommended to me through beauty editors. Right. And I don't know if you know that about yourself or not, that you're kind of the doctor that the beauty editors recommend to each other. I know I've been seen by a few beauty editors. I don't know that they necessarily recommend. They do. Okay. Oh, that's nice. I'm... I really, I really like the beauty editors because they actually ask really pertinent and and you know, uh, honest questions. Yeah. Which, um, well, we want to know the ingredients. We want to know yeah. how much. Well, yeah, and I, I, they're, they're actually, it's actually fun to have have someone ask those questions because it's, you know, you, you know it because it's your, your game and, you know, there's so many different. Um, I guess there's, there's so many different products you can use. Yeah. And, you know, part of the whole joy of doing it is like knowing you get this product and you really like it before mm. you know, have all these reasons. And so when someone asks you, oh, you know, why do you use this? You go, oh, thank God. Well, I, <laughs> I use this because. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. And that you, I know something about you that you invest in the best. Yeah. I, look, I, I look, I look out for, um, what I, to be honest with you, what I do is I follow the people who are the best in the world. So the best, for instance, the best maker of a thing called filler. Which is what we use um, to volumize skin and, and different levels of of, of facial anatomy. Um, filler is actually a sugar molecule, and there's I think there's a, over 150 registered fillers out there. Um, wow. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's like one bioscientist, this um, this woman who worked for a company called Allergan and made the Juvederm range. Yes. And she's a complete genius. Like there's no one who can touch her. She's at a level that's above everyone else. She makes a it sounds so stupid. It's a sugar molecule, but she <laughs> makes this compound which is soft and it, it 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 integrates with the skin and it doesn't go lumpy. And she's actually spent like her whole life making it. And then she was poached by another company, and she went across to that company. And I guess I followed more her than yeah. in, in that sort of range of fillers. And I guess it's the same in, in most of the sort of tools that I use because mm. fillers are a tool, you know, like. Anything else, you'd kind of try and find the best tools to get yes. the best result. You have a lot in your toolkit, I will say. <laughs> um, I did want to start by um, you just sharing a little bit more about you. You've got such a diverse background. <laughs> like the fact that you're a doctor now feels, well, does it ever feel unlikely to you based on the fact that you spent a lot of your earlier years acting? So... I guess I, I spent a lot of my earlier years in med school um, mm. and during that time I spent a lot of time in a photographic lab and making films and doing things that would had nothing to do with med school. But then I um, I did finish medicine and did my intern year um, and worked in hospitals after it. But I, I had a... I had a desire to direct, not act, actually. Um, but I figured the best way of doing that is to learn how to act. So I went to a school called WAPA, the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, and mm. I started acting for three years after medicine. And then I came after three years, I came to Sydney, and I just really took up acting for about ten years. So I do have an acting background, but for me, it wasn't about the acting. I started a theatre company called the Tamarama Rock Surfers, and we created a theatre in Woolloomooloo called the Old Fitzroy, which is you know still going today. Produce more Australian works than any other theatre, actually. So, wow. um, so we've done. I've done a lot of uh, directing. I got to do a lot of directing. And then mm. I had kids, and for me, it 
the best way to be able to look after my kids was to just to go back to medicine. So I went back to medicine and sort of did the things that I, I mean, I'd, I'd worked as an Aboriginal health doctor out in, in Burke for a year and worked in Indigenous health in, um, in Campbelltown and did that sort of stuff. That's where I'm from. All right. So in, Sit down. Yeah. So I worked um, in AIDS. You'd know AIDS. Oh, gosh, golly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... Um, Tough area. That's a challenged it was, it was a community, challenge, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Burke was a challenge. I mean, yes. that was, I was a one and two call and it was pretty, it was challenging, really re- rewarding, but challenging. And then I continued to make films, short films. Um, they got longer, you know, it started with a five minute <laughs> film and then an 11 minute film and then a 37 minute film and uh, 13, then a 37 minute and then um, I guess I continued doing medicine on the side, like on the side as a full time job. But I did the to keep my artistic side going. I did the films, you know, every three to four or five years. Mm. Um, and I moved into. I did a lot of anti aging medicine. I was interested in 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 sort of medicine that was not necessarily like you know nutritional or you know or everything that that, that was happening in terms of science in terms of medicine because I feel that medicine is you know it's a very um, slow moving beast. You know, it was a hundred years ago we were using leeches and by the way, we're using them again, but it's like, uh, it's a very slow moving beast and medicine is often, often doctors that I know will poo poo things which are being discovered and, and, you know, it took 30 years for CT scans to be accepted. That's kind of, that's how medicine is. So in many ways it's a slow moving beast and I, I always found the cutting edge of what was happening interesting. Yeah, like where was the innovation? Right. Mm. So... Um, and I was interested in, you know, how people maintain their health and vitality in a, in a world where, you know, chronic disease is a big problem. So I guess I went from wellness or, or preventative medicine and it was a natural fit for me to look at cosmetics. And I guess I kind of resisted it for a while. Did you? Because I wondered about that, like yeah, I whether that was quite purposeful or not. It was, look, I just went, oh, so vacuous. <laughs> oh, this is so vacuous. Vacuous. Um, but you know what? I went to this talk and the person really was inspiring and they weren't vacuous at all and they really cared about what they were doing in terms of they wanted to basically make people feel and look better and feel better about themselves and they weren't talking about, you know, the vacuous side of things. They were talking about anatomy and how you lift a face and how you do lift a face in different ages and time and how the different levels that you lift a face at. Like in a certain age, you lift it from this level and that level. And I, find, I always find, you know, cause I'm a bit, you know, a bit aspie, I guess. I always find that sort of um, that level of technical, I find that really ex- interesting. Mm. And there's a, that like you have to know shit to be able to do it well. So, and it wasn't just something, you know, you could just do, which I always thought there seems to be a lot of people doing this and yes. seems to be a lot of really bad work out there. Like, like I, I always believe if you can see it, then you've, you know, you've mucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but, um, but <laughs> say it, what are you going to say? Well, no, well, no if okay. you can see my work, then I definitely have fucked up. You know what I mean? I think you got to, you got to make sure that the person looks better mm-hmm. and refreshed, but doesn't look like they've been to see anyone. So I was seeing a lot of work, which I thought, wow, why have you distorted that person's architecture so much? Because it just means that I can see that they've had something done. From my aesthetic, I didn't love that. Oh, me too. Well, that's the scary thing at the moment is, I mean, certainly you've seen it in, I guess, the celebrity influencer space. Sometimes 
we don't recognize people anymore. And that's interesting that you use the architecture of their face because it's, yeah, if you're changing the shape of someone's face, they're obviously going to look like a different person. Yeah. And if you're changing, you better be very careful of how you're changing it, particularly peculiar to that person's face, you Mm. know, like you can change someone's face in such a subtle way that they, they will look and feel more attractive but no one else will really know what it is. That's the kind This is what you did to me. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> you look perfect as you did before. I didn't. You did so. Anyway, um, so, yeah, no. So, look, I think – and the final analysis that, honestly, the really simple analysis is you, like you're one mil away from looking like a freak. You're one totally. mil away. And if you imagine a teaspoon is five mils, you are mm. one-fifth of a teaspoon away from looking Like a odd. freak show. And so I guess the the biggest thing I can advise to anyone considering it or 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 even someone who actually who, who feels it's something that they like to do is just be careful of, of, of how much you use and how often you use it. It's just mm. it's like that that term less is more is never more true than in cosmetics. So Yes. So I I going back to that long story because I'm a terrible storyteller, I go on all these tracks and I love it. take forever. But um I guess what I And by saw, the way, everyone listening, this is just what it's like when you see him in clinic. <laughs> <laughs> and I just go on and on and on and will not shut up. Um so I I I saw that after that uh, inspiring sort of talk, I wanted to learn how to how to do things properly. So I went to a lot of courses and did these horrible things called cadaver courses, where you like work with like um, you know human bodies and heads. Oh where wow! You, where you actually you know you put the filler in and you can dissect and see where the filler's gone and you can look at where the nerve structures are. And so it was really they're very expensive, but they were it was so illuminating and and helpful to me. Mm. Like I really felt after doing that that my um. My confidence really grew and I was able to do, I was still minimalistic, but the things that I wanted to be able to do. So that was really. Yeah. Well, that's what I feel like you've become known for. Like when you were recommended to me, the girl who recommended you said his preference is to under treat. And that was kind of music to my ears because I don't, you probably don't remember, but I had been to someone, you know, we'll talk about it, but the younger you are. It's not overall, but it tends to hold a bit longer Botox. So because I started when I was 28, it was before my wedding, to get rid of the hereditary line in between my eyebrows. The glabella line. That thing. The 11th. <laughs> the angry line. The angry line. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to someone who overtreated and I feel really still um, upset and sad for myself on my wedding day because... I couldn't express. I had a frozen face on my wedding. Whoa. Well, how many day, How many weeks before your I wedding? I did it a did month you... before. Far out. Okay. That's, that's upsetting for you, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, um, that's, and that's really unfortunate. Wow. Um, but I'm sure you hear that no, no, I all look, the time. Look, whenever someone tells us they're getting married, I shit my pants. Like I go, <laughs> oh, my God, no. Like, it's like because, you know, things go wrong. Like if, yeah. things go wrong with everyone. But mm. if you're being really conservative, you've got a much less chance of things going wrong. Well, I have to say, in the six years I've been seeing you, nothing's gone wrong. Don't say that. Touch now wood. We're, now we're oh screwed. my god. <laughs> um, but I no. want to have this conversation with you because, well, first of all, I want to say we have a duty of care and a responsibility. Even having this conversation, I'm not advocating for this work or for people to get this done. What I want this to be is 
a resource and educational for any woman who is considering it so that they're better informed when they walk into a doctor's clinic and have a discussion about getting something done so that they know the questions to ask and what to say. That's really what I hope this is. Okay. Um, The other thing I haven't really spoken to you about yet is my relationship with Botox is changing quite rapidly. Wow. As I develop spiritually. Okay. So where I've arrived is like this whole podcast is an exploration of true self and who are we without the social media followings and the labels and all the blah, blah, blah. When we're sitting in our true self, how do we identify with that? And the more I get in touch with who that is for me, the sadder I feel that I don't love my face the way it is naturally. Right. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that you don't you, – previously you haven't loved the changing changes of your face over time. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I haven't – You haven't well, embraced not, the change of time. Totally. I think I've preferred how I look when I've had Botox Okay. versus when I don't have it. But is I that, think – Is that a problem? I don't know. This is what <laughs> I'm so perplexed about at the moment because – I'm not, I'm not no. advocating. I'm not advocating. This is I'm, a conversation I want I'm to I'm literally have. saying, wow, that's interesting. So why is that a problem? So I'm going to ask you a question now back yeah. to you. When you have a haircut, okay, do you prefer the haircut version or the non-haircut version? The haircut version. Okay. When you buy a new dress. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so, I know, but then is there something in this where it's like, yeah, but those things aren't injecting a substance into your body that alters your physiology. Yeah, I think the, what you're saying is it's uh, there is different levels and limitations on, on what, what, what you're concerned that you're, the invasiveness of what you're doing to yourself is unnecessary given the fact that you should just learn to live with your wrinkles. Is that what you're saying? That's 100% what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's, some, that's, like, I think that's a really reasonable question that everyone should ask, you mm. know, because... For me, I mean, you know, there's someone who I absolutely adore and think is amazing and I think one of the most beautiful things is how soft her eyes are, you know, and that would not be so if those lines were gone, you know. Mm. So I think, and the other thing I I hear all the time and everyone should listen to this, is I have women say, my my boyfriend, my husband doesn't want me to do this because he loves my face as it is. And I... I go to myself, well, what the fuck are you doing then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, don't, don't worry. But then they say, but I'm doing this for myself. Yeah. And so is that wrong? Well, of course it's not because if you like yourself a certain way and you're, you know, prepared to do that and it's not causing you harm and that's something we should go and talk about, mm. about the level of harm that can be caused and be honest about what are the sort of potential side effects. But if it's not causing you harm, apart from financially, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it, it is. It, that's, it's expensive. So if it's not causing you harm, then I guess there's there's a real argument to say, well, the only wrong that can be, be be made is the wrong that you put upon. If you make it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's, you know, there's really, really good arguments for, and there's the argument when people say, you know, when I hear that my husband really loves me who I am, I love that because it's very romantic. Mm. But I also think, well, I, I have the same question that you're having. Yeah. Like, yeah, I I don't personally use Botox um, myself, um, just because I don't like the way it looks on me. Mm. So I'm not. If it looked good, I can 
guarantee you I'd you use do it, it. But do I you don't. think it looks good on any guy though? I feel like it's a kind of a weird thing when a guy has Botox. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're saying, but and to be honest with you, I am again. If you if I'm conservative with women, I am super conservative with men yeah. because um, I like a masculine face. Mm. I really do, and having no lines is somewhat effeminate for me. And I, yeah. and I can't I can't pretend to put anyone else's aesthetic onto a face except my own. So I and and I embrace that. I go, this is my aesthetic. I like minimalism. I like people yeah. who have softness, but not weirdness. You know. So I. With men, I'm very, very careful to explain to them I'm not using that much, which is going to keep the cost down, but it means mm. you're not going to change that much because men have no lines. They find it really disconcerting. Yeah. Find it weird. It's a different. Yeah. It, I mm. just love like when I come in to see you and I'm like, I need everything and more. And you're like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've asked for things and you've just flat out declined to do it. I'm like, hold on. I do it all the time. Who's I get the in, customer I get, here? I get in huge amounts of trouble with everyone mm. just because I say no, 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 no. No. And sometimes I'm really wrong. Like sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, I am wrong. And like if someone says, I really want this, and I go, okay, we'll, we'll do half that. And we do half and I go, actually. Looks good. Yeah, it looks really good. Mm. And I wouldn't have done the whole amount, but the half looks awesome. And so, you know, it's. So I, I do actually now listen as much as I can to people. Sometimes people, I just yeah. say no. Like there's lots of times I say no, to be honest. I'm a terrible businessman. I know. You said no <laughs> to me a lot. Um, I do want to be really brave and just like talk about what I've had done. Okay. So I've spoken. You go, girl. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I've spoken pretty publicly about Botox since I've started doing it, so that's fine. What I haven't spoken about before is filler. Right. So let's just go ahead and speak about that. Okay. But I also just want to do some like – really basic stuff on what is Botox and what is filler. Yeah, anyway. let's talk but, about what it is so people know what it is. Well, yeah, so we'll start by saying like, so with me, you'll, I mean, it's more frequent now the Botox as I'm getting older, but there was a time when I'd only see you like once every nine months. Right. And I think you would do about 20 units. Yeah, which is a really small amount. Which is a really small amount. And that's part of the education I want to, let's, maybe we can answer that question now. What is a lot of Botox? What is average and what is a small amount? So can I just start by breaking that down a little way a bit more? So yes. Can I tell you there's about, you know, in worldwide about five or six recognized brands of, of, of botulinum toxin. Um, I believe there's over 140 strains of botulinum toxin. Uh, it is a protein. It's literally a protein. And it has an effect, the protein, the botulinum toxin protein has an effect on the nerve neuromuscular where the nerve meets the muscle on the junction. So it's literally a protein that sits on the nerve where it joins the muscle and stops the nerve being able to actually spark the muscle to move. So it literally, mm. it, it, it's a competitive um, uh, agonist for that, for that site. So in other words, it sits on the site and doesn't allow anything else to happen. So in other words, the muscle just won't move when the Botox has been put into that muscle. And that's what we say when it's like freezing it. That's freezing it, yeah. So the mm. Botox is a protein that sits at the neuromuscular junction where the nerve meets the muscle because nerves go into muscles and they, they basically depolarize and they, just, they send an electrical signal and that makes the muscle contract. And what happens is the Botox forms a barrier between the nerve and the muscle. Mm -hmm. And it can, it can hold on to that site for a really long time. Um, and different Botoxes have different actions at that junction, at that neuromuscular junction. Okay. So there's the ones that are mostly used in Australia 
And I'm just going to use two, okay, because mm -hmm. otherwise it gets too complex. But there's one called botulinum type A, and that's also known as Botox, made by Allergan. And there's a botulinum type B, which is known as Dysport. I've never heard of that. Dysport is, um, was probably used when you had this situation where you felt that your whole um, forehead wouldn't um, move. Dysport's an amazing um, Botox, and, and they, they use, you use them, you can use one or the other, but you need to be very careful of how they work. So, for instance, Botox is very precise in that it only spreads one centimeter from where you put it in. Um, and it has uh, you know, a, a duration of action which lasts about between 10 and 14 weeks. In some people, Botox will literally last up to six months or more. Yeah, it used to last so long in me and I'd be like, this is You are amazing. one of a rare um, – you are very rare. It's like there's sort of one in 10 where it can last up to nine months. But there's also one in 10 where they have antibodies to Botox. So you put what you could put in, you know, thousands of units, and the body would just get rid of it before it works. So it does. You'll wow. notice that. So when you treat someone, they come back, they go, "It hasn't worked," and you go, "Wow, okay." And you put the same amount in again, and it doesn't work again. And about one in ten, or maybe one in twenty, people become what we call Botox eaters, but they've actually got antibodies to the Botox, so and they just can't get Botox then. They can't, or they can change the the the, the form. So they might go to botulinum type B or Dysport. Mm -hmm. Dysport is, again, Dysport is botulinum type B. It has a maybe, they say it's the same duration of action, but from doing it for 12 years, I find it maybe is a bit less. Okay. Um, so it's sort of 10 weeks. It doesn't last as long. Yeah, and some people obviously it does, but in, from, my, from my experience, this is subjective. So I'm not trying to like put one against the other. It will tend to last about 10 weeks, but it's also, it spreads about two centimeters. So it gives a softer effect. So I quite like it and that it will give quite a nice soft effect. Um, but you need to be careful with it because you definitely can't over-treat with it because because of the spread, it can really block, can make give you that sort of very frozen look. Also if, on if her wedding day. <laughs> yeah, you know. And of course that can happen with Botox too, with type A. So there's no mm. – people shouldn't take from this, oh, I definitely want Dysport, definitely want Botox. What you want is someone who knows – the properties of the Botox they're using mm. and can look at the muscles in your face because remember, every time I treat you, Alison, your face has changed. It has literally changed. Your muscles have changed. The way they move have changed. And they've changed because, A, you and I both changed them mm. and, B, because you're getting older and you've had different stresses and do you know what I mean? So yes. you need to look at each person's face every time as if it's brand new. Mm. And you make your decisions of where you're putting the Botox and how much based on the movement of those muscles and what that person wants. So the biggest thing you can, I can say to people is when they're choosing, um, don't choose a Botox, but choose an injector who's really willing to listen to what you want mm -hmm. and, and is willing to, you know, in most cases I'd say, please with Botox, use the least amount because you can always come back and get more. Yes. And that's one thing you say to me is I... Once it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, you'll but, say, come back in a week. I'm like, no, I'm not I'm busy doing that. I know. Or like if, if you don't like it or you want more, just come back and I'll do it. Yeah. It's fine, but pre preference is to do less than – and it's always fine. I've never been back. Well, look, people do come back and I, and I, I prefer that. Like sometimes I do use too little, but hmm. the, like that's, that is, I think, the key is that be prepared if you're going to do it to – do it properly and come back, you know, mm. just, it's just a, you know, a five minute review and it's annoying, you know, yeah. particularly as I'm, you know, talk too much, but, <laughs> um, but, the, it, but, but it's really important to get, 
to know that person and to get it mm. right. And because it's changing all the time, you know, it's that's that's the important thing. It's just, so with, if we go back on the go over that very quickly, Botox is a protein. Well, one question I had is, yeah. so Botox is a protein, but is it a toxin? Well, um, all different proteins can be toxins. So okay. you call it a toxin because it, it has an effect on the body, which may be deemed as toxic. So um, I guess if you, it comes from a bacteria called Clostridium botulinum, which was uh, originally isolated, um, you know, in the 1700s, uh, mostly because people got botulism. Which, mm. You know, they had um, uncooked meats and the Clostridium had, had you know, in a high in a high volume had gone through and pe- people ate it and they died from botulism. Um, botulinum toxin can stop you breathing and stop stop not only just the muscles you injected into, but it can stop it on the on on the widest on the wider sphere. So when you, if you had you know botulism, you've got like billions and billions and billions of um, copies of that protein all through your body. Mm. Um, people need to understand that this the toxin the protein is made in a purified factory that's been being made for fifty years. No one that I can that I know of in my research has ever died from you having a Botox injection. The doses we are using are infinitesimally small mm. and they're directed directly into the muscle. So mm. obviously we don't give it to pregnant women. Um, we don't give it to breastfeeding women. Not because there's any studies that show there's some dangers, but it's just we don't want to take any risks. Well, that's like any reading that I've done. And that's part of, I guess, where I'm arriving on my own journey is we're going to start trying for a baby again soon. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going to have to fall in love with your face because it could be at least a two-year period, you know, fingers crossed I can breastfeed, that you won't be doing this. So part of me is like, do I just take the hit now (laughs) and start, you know, just weaning in a way and just sort of really starting to get used to what and loving what I'm sort of seeing in the mirror. But from the research, yeah, I have done as well and like Dr. Google, but it's interesting because there is no studies, but everyone's like, why would anyone take that risk? Yeah. I mean, that's when you, that's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, look, you know, a significant amount of pregnancies, um, don't go to term because they just have genetic abnormalities and, you know, there's a spontaneous uh, termination, you know, yeah. um, it just doesn't make it. And that's like, I think it's over a third. It's a lot. A lot, yeah. right? So you become pregnant and you've got six weeks and then just like one third of them won't go to term. Mm. Um, just because your body's actually looking after itself, it's scanning the, the, the you know, the the fetus, the embryo, and and it, there's a, there's a genetic abnormality which is not going to be compatible with life, and therefore the the body spontaneously says we should not go forward with this pregnancy, which is heartbreaking for people. But you don't want to be in on top of that heartbreaking thing. You don't want to have a situation where you go, oh shit, I had that Botox and that course. That that's like oh that's oh God, horrible, right? So, Can I tell you when um, Tony and I? I know you remember lost our baby last year. I was at the hospital after I'd had the ultrasound, the internal ultrasound, and you called me. I don't know why I had emailed. It might have been about the NAD or something, which we'll talk about. But you called me and you said that exact same thing. And I have to say it was the most helpful thing I could have heard in that moment because we go immediately to what have I done? done? Is it because I got my nails done and I smelled the chemicals? Is it, you know, and you go there. You do that, you do, you go there. Because I was so healthy and because I wasn't doing Botox and because I 
felt like, hey, I'd gotten my body to a point where I thought it's I was It's a horrendous ready. thing, but it's like your body is looking after itself. You yeah. Know, it's, like, it's quite incredible, really. It is incredible. It's like this constantly scanning the cells in, in the rapid division and saying, shit, this genetic abnormality is going to lead to a really terrible situation and mm. a non-compatible situation. Mm. So, you know, the body it's an incredible thing. Mm. And but it's 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 also brutal and yeah. heartbreaking and but if you can understand it from a scientific point of view, I think it it does make it a well it oh, maybe a tiny me. bit better. Mm. But, so know. give us the units. Okay, now units, that we know okay. what it is. So if someone's okay. gonna go in and see someone. All right, so um let's just start with Botox, okay? Yeah. And can we just start with the face, which is say let's start someone at age thirty, okay? They've noticed between, may, they might have a familial thing, a genetic thing where they, in between their eyebrows, they get a long, a deep line. There's some people call it the 11, some people call it the angry line. But like genetically, it's one of the major reasons people say, I hate this line here. People ask me if I'm angry. I'm not angry. I just, can you fix this? And so a lot of people start that way. Mm. They start treating this, this line in between their eyebrows. That's my story. Well, they, but most people do start that way. So... To start that way, you always start with a low dose. Um, you know, if you go buy the the book that the drug company gives you to sell it, you use twenty units in that area. Um, I use eleven. I use eleven, and eleven seems to do the job without um, you know having people look very weird or Botox used too much between the eyebrows can spread the eyebrows apart and give it quite an odd look make it very blank there. So 11 is a sort of unit I use. Other people use 15 and get a great result. Um, if you're using 20, it's, it's probably, I mean, look, everyone to the, their own, but I find that 11 is the right number for me for the, in between the eyes. Um, in the forehead, it's very different. People's foreheads are very different. Some are ex- extremely expressive and, and really quite a high forehead. You have a high forehead, for instance, which means you'd use, if you had terrible lines, which you don't, but if you did, you'd use, you know, up to eight units in the forehead. Mm-hmm. So, and then like so eyebrow lift, the maximum you'd use from someone from 30 to 40, I think is probably 30 units all up. If you're using in between the eyes, the forehead, and then some softening around the eyes. On average, I'd say I do a between, I do about 24 to yep. 28. Um, if you're just doing that little area between the eyes, I'd say, you know, between 10 and 12, 10 and 14 is probably normal. Mm-hmm. Um, do people just do crow's feet or is it generally you would do? Look, I think they, they definitely do. I think it's weird in many ways. I, mean, I think it's, I, I think you should look, look, always look at the balance in the face. So, I mean, the thing I look at is go, okay, what is my eye going to, it should be going to your eyes and staying on your eyes. Mm. If I'm going to a line that's in the middle of your forehead, I'll go, hey, listen, can I just soften that down and da 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 So I look to the areas. Obviously, I listen to what the person wants. Yeah. And then I go, okay. Sometimes they'll just say, these the lines around my eyes are so strong, I like them softened. And that's, of course, that's perfect. And you know, no worries. It's really easy. Mm. Um, so really care- all up 30 units oh, if you were going to get. Forehead in between the eyes. And the eyes. And crow's feet. Yeah, crow's feet around the eyes, yeah. Yeah. So 30, that would be, yeah, 30 to 32 would be the, the number that I would say is mm. the number. Like it's the number I most do. And I remember I treat women from probably 28 up to 68, you know. Yeah. And would you say? I asked Dr. J about this concept of preventative Botox. I've often wondered if there's any truth to it 
or if it's just a marketing ploy from the brands who make Botox. When it comes to ageing, I think it's fair to say that many women feel vulnerable. And so what is the truth here? Oh, look, not, this is a really tough question. When you use Botox in a muscle, you it's like, this way I can stri- describe this. Alison, if I took your arm and I bent it up so it was, it was folded up, okay? And I put your hand in a fist and then I wrapped your arm and your fist in a bandage for two for three months. How do you think your arm and your hand would move after being wrapped up for two months? Not very well. Right. So what happens with Botox is the muscles that you're trying to attenuate or reduce their action become weaker. So you... Because they're not moving, they lose, they lose the intensity of their muscular contraction. And because of that, they, they will literally be softer in that area. So if you use it in those terms, does Botox have an effect uh, in, in, slowing? In, in, in slowing down the aging process? Yes, of course. You're going to prevent. But, and this is a very big but, if you overuse it, you will lose volume in the face. Okay, so particularly around the eyes and, and everywhere else, you need to use it appropriately. So people who've had too high a volume of Botox will often get loss of muscle in the temporal area. Is that the muscle dystrophy? Yeah, well, it's, it is a way, but it's it's just it's it's like a minimalistic muscle wasting in the area where the Botox is spread to, and it's you just see it in people who've had too much Botox. Can you get that muscle back? Yes, oh, absolutely. So you just like, yeah. Just stop using it. Stop doing it. it. Or, or and use then... less, you know. Those muscles bounce back really quick, like mm. really quick. Anyone who hasn't had it will go, oh, my God. No, <laughs> muscles, ah. And people say, hey, the best one is like, what if I stop? Am I going to be turn? I go, yeah, you're going to turn to the Wicked Witch of the West in about three seconds. You wake up and go, oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a clever ploy for me to entrap you in my Botox <laughs> web forever. But, but no. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> The truth is, is if you, if you use a, a minimal amount, you don't get the waste, wasting to that degree. Of course, it will attenuate the muscle and you could make an argument for, you know, it's, preve- it's a preventative thing. But if you stop using it, really, how preventative is it? Yeah. So, you know. Would you say, like, say if there's someone listening who is younger than 28, what is your advice to them? Like, is it really 28 is probably the youngest? In your opinion? Well, I, that's not – no, there's people being getting a lot younger than that. Well, that's like, what I mean, the, like I think bloody that, hell. Yeah. No, I think – look, um, I'll, I'll, can I give you an example? Someone, someone lifts up their eyebrows and they go, look what happens when I do this. And there's like a little bit of movement and like a tiny line. I go, yeah, that's because you're lifting your eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, – yeah. That that's should like, be happening. That's normal. I go, I hate this. I go, you like, hardly see it. My point about that is, is – I would tend to advise people to do nothing because once you start on Botox, it is addictive. Do you know what I mean? I'm being very yeah. clear with, and I'm very clear with people at the start. When I'm, and I and I really this is something I really try to do is if they're having it the first time, I say, listen, when we do this, you're going to like it and you're going to have want to have more. So you need to be really clear about why you're doing it and the time you're doing it. Can and, you afford it? Well, yeah, and. You know, it, this is something that you'll want to do. And this is often to people who are like 38 or 40 because, and they haven't done anything because, you know, they've just haven't, mm. you know. But. Well, sometimes I wonder if I've peaked too early. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. No. Gosh. Golly. No way. Um, I, I, I just think that 
every person is different. Yeah. And you're right. You have to learn to love your face and and the changes of your face over time. Mm. And you have to know about like, I guess in a way you have to work out how important is your own opinion. (laughs) Do you mean? Yeah. Like if. Well, and that's probably where I'm arriving is my own opinion of myself is strengthening. Yeah. To a point where I'm not reliant on external things. Validation of, of, exactly. of yourself. Yeah. yeah. Look, I think that's it. I mean, um, I Talk guess. Talk to me in a year when I'm like, get it in my face. Yeah, that's no. usually what happens too. Um, <laughs> look, I just think that you should, everyone should give themselves, and I mean this over the board, uh, less of a hard time, not only pro, but against. Like, just, it's not a big thing. It's like yeah. cutting your hair. I mean, done properly, it's a really safe technique has been used for 60 years. It started with – Botox started by trying to uh, get children who had squints and getting their eyes back. The genius who invented it, like, literally saved people's eyesight and mm. and, and disfigurement in children. It's used in doses 100 times that we use in a face for children with, with, with spastic paresis in their hands. So they've got, you know, they've got uh, – from cerebral palsy, They've their hands are sort of uh, – in, in this tight muscle bound, and so that in, in, in like a in like almost like a stroke. I guess it is mm. like a stroke. And what happens is you put the Botox into the muscles and release it, and they get function back into the hand. So wow. it's it's an incredible drug. It's used for treating sexual dysfunction in incredibly success, success, successful way. It treats urinary um, incontinence very successfully. It is life-changing in people with migraine. So Botox is a very useful medicine and like any useful medicine, it needs to be used appropriately. And if it's causing a negative effect, be that physical or mental. Mm -hmm. So you're actually going, I feel bad when I have it and just don't have it. Yeah. You know, so it is. I think that's really good advice. I think be really careful when you start because, you know, if you have something which catches your eye and annoys you and the Botox gets rid of it, I promise you, you'll want to get rid of it again. Yeah. So well, that's been your advice is me. good too. So like, look, like how much does this bother me and how important is it to me and the people who love me? So, mm. you know, um, yeah, I look, it's a, it's a sensitive topic. And, it is. And it, I and mean, it's, it's becoming more socially accepted, obviously. I mean, the fact that I'm talking, I have been talking about it, but I'm talking about it on my podcast, like I've just tried to be as honest as I can because part of this podcast is life on the other side of the filter and showing people for their true selves. It's like I can't be putting up selfies and people being, oh, you're so pretty and <laughs> you've got great skin. It's like it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. Okay, well, no, no, you're right. Okay, it is real though. It is yeah. it's as real as someone cutting your hair, as real as someone going to have facials. I mean, True. for me, the people who look the best, and this is a really important point for everyone, um, the the women who look the best are the people who are in like intrinsically happy. Like intrinsically happy people look beautiful to me. They look so beautiful. People who are confident and and have a good heart, you can always feel that through them and that they always look the best. And that sounds twee, but it's true. Are you like, a cancerian? No, 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 actually. I'm a boring Capricorn climbing oh. the mountain of life. Step by step. But they do. Those people, like you just, you see them and they're just happy and they look amazing. Their light shines through their eyes and blah, blah, blah. Um, people who eat well and exercise well, their skin always glows. Mm. And that's beautiful. Like that's a really nice thing. 
That's a good point. I guess it is a combination of my lifestyle choices. Yeah, it is. I and definitely think I started to look younger when I started meditating. Yeah, mm. of course. And and so that that stuff you can literally see it in someone's skin when that when people who do those things you see it and people who bother to go and have facials. I oh, mean, it's huge, hey. Oh my god. Like you could sit there and have Botox all the time and then mm. you ignore a facial. Are you crazy? I know. That stuff is so no, important. It's so, so true. And so, like all the products I use are just maintenance yeah. on the back of the facials. Yeah. It's not. And yeah. That's, that's why your things last nine months, Botox. Mm. That's why you use so little. I really mean it. So if people are serious about, you know, they want to get Botox, for God's sake, get a good skin specialist. Like mm. get get someone, a beauty, a, a beauty therapist or a, or, you know, someone who actually specializes in skin. I have, uh, you know, a, a, a skin specialist, um, Ingrid Seaburn, who works with me. Mm. And she just, she does the facials. And everyone who does facials with her, like, they just, they actually look better. Yes. You know? well, I'm not a massive facial product. fan because mm. I just, people touch my face. It's oils and off fire. It's my eye. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I find it really. But I kind of get it. I mean, it's really nice when someone touches you. Mm. You know what I mean? And yeah. I don't know if it's that or just the, 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 you know, the, the the stimulating blood vessels in the face or just, you know, I'm not sure exactly how it all works, but I can guarantee you 12 years of doing this, the people that have facials, they look amazing compared to people who just do Botox, Botox. and just do filler, you know? Yeah. So. Well, let's talk about filler. Okay. Um, well, I remember when I was first thinking about getting Botox, I didn't know the difference between Botox and filler. <laughs> right, yeah. Most people don't. So let's just say there could be and probably is, rightly, people listening who actually can't distinguish between the two. So filler, you were saying earlier. Okay, so filler, okay. Botox stops the muscle from working, okay? Yeah. Um, and don't try and think too much in units, Alison. You can't go, Botox 20 units, because Botox 20 units would be the equivalent to um, disport of 40 units. Do you know what I mean? It's, I understand. So it's, it, okay. it's just an, e an easy way to do it is to double it. So disport would be double. But, like, just all I'm saying with those units is – Ask the person to start slow and low. Yes. Okay, so that's but at the least most now listeners can ask what what Botox are you using? Yeah, and they'll know that Disport spreads more and can has a softer finish, but overuse will make you like can make you look very blank, as can with Botox. You know. Yeah. Um, and again, just I think the best way is people who are just contemplating it. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, if it's a, a, you know, a nurse or a doctor or a surgeon, just make sure you feel simpatico with the person and that you can, you feel that they're listening to you. Yeah. That's, that's the important thing to take away and use less is more, yeah. less is more, less is more. Yeah. So that's that, that one. And now going on to filler, less is more times 10. <laughs> okay. So filler <laughs> is a sugar molecule. It's a, uh, it's, there's many, many fillers out there. Um, some of them to buy, uh, you know, not very expensive, but then you can often – they tend to sit there like a lump and you can see them. Filler that you can see, particularly under the eyes, looks terrible. It draws water. It just makes someone look puffy. So filler is a sugar molecule that is a volumizer. It literally is like – if you want to think of it as a spack filler, which is an awful way to think of it. But it does but, the job. But it – just think of uh, – filler is called hyaluronic acid, okay? It's called hyaluronic uronic acid or HA, mm -hmm. and HA is just a sugar molecule with what, lots of cross-links. So the molecules are, are cross Because isn't that naturally occurring in our bodies? Right. So if you took any living organism, and I mean from a sea slug to you, if I squished you, I'd get HA. Mm -hmm. So HA is part of every part of our cells. 
in and out. Okay, so it's a it's 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 a natural building block of healthy living tissue. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know it has its own functions and and stabilization and assistance in transport of of of, of ionic molecules, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what it does when you lose sugar molecules, you lose water draw in the skin, and as we age. As we age, we lose we lose our HAs from the outer layer of the skin through to the inner layer of the skin. So aging is a process in many ways of losing water content, mm. losing the water content in the skin. You know when you look at an eighteen year old, the volume, the volume, right? So it's but it's water. So if you look at an eighteen year old, their skin looks like it's glowing, doesn't it? Yeah. The reason that is is it has such a high concentration of collagen and elastin and hyaluronic acid HA in that outer one mil that the water in that outer one mil is literally refracting the light and bouncing it back out. So their skin is glowing. Mm. Light's going in and bouncing out because of the water content. So what happens is our skin as we age becomes a bit dead. And, you know, people at 30 say, my skin's dead. And the way to improve that is things like lots more water, exercise, meditation, right? Sleep and certainly stressing the skin out, which happens, I think, with having facials, dermabrasions and something we can go on to later. But but one of the ways that we improve the last one millimeter, the amount of hydration in the last one millimeter is to use a filler called a non-crosslink filler. So it's a sugar molecule that isn't cross-linked. It doesn't doesn't sit there like lumps, but it draws water and creates water content in the last one mil. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a treatment called Beauty Boost. And it's a very special filler that's made by that genius woman, again, yeah. called Redensity One. And that's a filler. So the way I'm, reason I'm bringing that up is to say fillers can have different levels of cross-linking. I've had the Beauty Boost treatment on my neck three times about two years ago. The results were really noticeable. A tightening of the skin on my neck and a reduction in the depth of the lines. But outside of this non-crosslinked HA used in treatments like Beauty Boost, there's of course also crosslinked HA, which would be used to build volume in, say, your lips or your cheeks. So, so the filler that we use to hydrate the last one millimetre of the skin is that one that's not crosslinked. But the ones that we need to, to volumise um, volumize the face, be it from the bony level or the muscle level or the skin level, you're going to use a crosslinked HA or crosslinked hyaluronic acid or a crosslinked filler. They're all the same. Mm-hmm. Filler, hyaluronic acid or HA, they're all filler. And the more crosslinked it is, the stiffer the, um, the, the compound is, the more lift it will create. So imagine you had someone who over time had lost some of their, their fat pad in the front of their face, in the front of their cheek, and the side of their cheek. You would try and use a filler that has a heavy crosslink, but because it's a heavier crosslink and it's strong and it, has a long, it lasts a long time, you need to use it deeper. And you need to use it in an appropriate way that allows the filler to lift the anatomy of the face. Because the biggest problem with aging is that the, when we lose fat pads, our face starts to sag downwards. Mm-hmm. So you want to create lift. So we use fillers there in that case that have a very strong G-force or high cross-linking. But when you use them, you need to be very careful how you're using them to make sure you're putting them almost onto bone. Now, that sounds freaky, but we use anesthetics and we do it properly and we use cannulas. You know, I use cannulas because it's the safest way to inject. I haven't used needles ever. It's not my thing. I don't like the use of needles. I feel it's unsafe. I think you can easily penetrate an artery and not know it. So it's just not what I do. I I use things called cannulas and cannulas have a blunt tip. 
they're harder to learn to use. It takes more um, time, I guess what we call the J curve of learning, to use them appropriately than just using a needle and putting bits in. But mm. I just don't see any point in, in taking any risks. I've got five children and I can't really afford it. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, so I use I use cannulas and I use the filler very judiciously along deeper planes to create lift. Mm. Um, I tend to maximum use two mils of filler in a face ever. Um, at so one time. At one time. Um, I don't feel, I mean, obviously there's cases where people have had a, lot, a huge loss of volume and you'd like to use more, but I think it's better just to do things slowly anyway. So you were saying five mil is a teaspoon, so we're talking less than half a teaspoon. Less than half a teaspoon, Which yeah. is, yeah, doesn't, it's not a lot really, is it? It's not a lot, it? no. Is but, that for like if someone was doing lips? Yeah, I'd, I'd use, I'd use um, one, a half into the, lifting the whole upper cheek and upper cheek area. And then I'd um, probably use one in the in the um, I'd use one in the in the lower mouth area, including maybe point three or point four in the lips if it's required. Lips are an area where I pride myself on them. Like it's something that's very it's in. I, I mean, I mean honestly, I really it's important to me that I do that job really well because it's the area yes. I think of that has been um, abused in cosmetic it's completely medicine. Completely butchered. And I think again, just. The littlest bit that people always come back, but if you just do the littlest bit, you'll get a good result. I use mm. a thing called a Paris lift, and I think it's the best technique to to to, to do a lip a lip to make it look natural. What is a Paris technique? Paris technique is where you um, around the lip is an actual space. It's called the vermilion border, and you literally enter through the vermilion border into the base of the lip, and the lip has a shape like a plane wing. Mm-hmm. So when you when you're injecting upwards, and you, you always inject on the way out. You sort of lift the lip and you you bend the needle into the shape of a plane wing so it creates a strut that actually is following the natural curve of the lip. And as you lift up, you'll find you'll you'll find the space where the filler will actually go into the vermilion border and create that nice border again. Mm. So if you do it really slowly and really gently, you will create a line around the lip. So often what happens is you lose the differentiation between the skin and the lip and that's that vermilion border. So replacing... Yeah, which the, that was they just look like rubber. Yeah. Is well, that what you mean when... Well, sometimes as you age, you can lose um, that, just the border of the lip. So you but don't, don't you... It. I'm also saying like if somebody has like a lot of filler in their lips, it almost looks like they've got rubber lips. Oh, yeah. So we can go on to that. Does yeah. that mean, is that what you're saying where it loses the line? No. So the line should be there. But what happens in what you're talking about is, look, this is the big thing. A lot of people, these these certain companies that we won't talk about will advertise as one mil of filler on your lips for 380 or whatever the price is, right? Not very much money. Usually. Not very much money. But you got to ask yourself, okay, well, what filler are you using? Because, you know, Fillers that I use cost three hundred dollars a mil. You know, mm. um, <laughs> you know, you got to. Yeah. So, what filler are they using? Second question is, you got to go. Why on earth would you put a mil into someone's lips? Because they're going to look like a banana case. They're going to look crazy. Like, you know, like mm. really like a blow up doll, and it's going to look weird for a long time. And here's another thing: is really I can't stress this enough. The lip is a, is a physical structure that if you distort it, it will remain distorted. Oh, dear. So you know that thing of the 80s where people did pencil did the pencil their mark eyebrows. around their eyebrows and then they couldn't get their eyebrows back? It's like that. Well, when people push their lips too hard, it stretches the lip. How do you think that lip's going to come back home? 
like it ain't coming home that lip is there wow so you got to be like you know just be appropriate be really careful use the least amount like the thing I turn down the most is lips. Like, oh, I'm not touching your lips. I'm not touching your lips. Honestly, I think I asked for at least a year. Yeah. And every time you were like, no, no. No. And I was like, just give me a little lip. No. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's just, just, I just love lips. I love the shape of women's lips. It's a beautiful thing. And if you fuck it up, it's not very good, you know? Um. So you just, and look, the best thing about filler is that you have a back door. Mm. You can use a thing called high layers to dissolve it, but you've got to use that really carefully because you don't want to dissolve the filler you put in. It's not like it goes just for the filler that you've put in there. It dissolves all HA. Oh, wow. Right? So like, like people go, natural. oh, you get, I get it. But like you go, you put too much of that stuff in, you're going to dissolve all your natural HA. So you'll have this deflated face. So look, wow. you need to be careful with filler. You need to use the smallest amount. And you need to particularly be careful inside the lip. Yeah. Around the mouth, you should, like, I do, the work around the mouth is the thing I'm kind of most proud of because mm. um, I have What do you te- mean about by around the mouth? So one of the biggest aging things, and certainly in my face, and I find look at it and go, oh, I hate that, um, is that you get this loss of volume. Like and, the jowls. Yeah, the jowls and also just these things called marionette lines. Um, you know, these lines that go from the, the bottom of the lip down to the, to the chin. Yes. And that is, it's, it's exceptionally aging in men and women and it's unnecessary because you can just lift it up with a tiny bit of filler. And I think it's so nice when you get rid of it, people like almost cry because they hate it so much. And when you fix it, it's just such a really nice feeling to do it. Mm. It's really hard to do and it takes time. So you say, look, I'm going to put a mill in here. I'm going to go really slowly in six or 12 weeks. going to come back and we're just going to build this up slowly because it happened over 10 years, you know? Yeah. So, but so it's a nice thing. So how long does filler last for? Depends on how many crosslinks it has. So the really highly crosslink filler that you use deep, say, in the cheeks, will last, you know, has a medium – I use a, one that has a medium half-life of 18 months. Long time. Lasts a long time. Um, and, but the ones I use, for, like the, the, the ultimate is what I use for the, for the mouth, it has a half-life of about 12 months. It's softer. It assimilates beautifully with the tissue, so it just becomes part of the tissue. It doesn't sit there like this mm. thing. So. so when we see people that have lumpy lips, yeah. what's going on there? Um, it's a combination of factors. It could be just that they have a bruise. It could be a fact that the, the a lot of fillers will tend to clump together. They'll like bond together. So they form clumps later. They don't assimilate as well. Um, so it could be a factor of the, the filler is not suitable for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually the case. Or they've just been used too much or it hasn't been used in, in a way where it's, it, it's evenly maintained. So there might be too much in one area and not in the other. Um, Look, it happens. Um, yeah. It's easy. Filler's really easy to move around and, and, and actually smooth out. So it's something that you can actually show someone. Like it, lumps can easily be removed. And sometimes lumps are structural. So if you'd lost all your volume lips, you'd, they'll go, oh, I can feel as I go, I'll say that is a structural strut. That is literally lifting your lip. It's annoying, mm. but you'll get used to it. Structural strut. So it's a strut, yeah. You know, like yeah. you're, it's a, you're strutting between two levels. Mm. So you're creating struts that lift the tissue. And um, the other treatment I want to talk about, so I had Belkyra. Belkyra, yeah. Yeah. So I've had one round of that and I am of the belief I need a second. <laughs> um, what is it? Because I know it's called Kybella in the US. So just to... So making it really simple, um, Belkyra or Kybella 
is basically a fat lysing sub solution. So it, what it does is it literally um, dissolves fat. Um, it, it came with a lot of fanfare. And for me, Kybella works definitely, but it takes three to four treatments. Mm. And I find that it the, the cost is exceptionally high, and the side effects from, from this is this is a personal thing. So please, I'm not having a go at anyone who. No, I remember it. when I said I wanted it. You were like, "There's other things," because I got it under. Well, people get it just under their chin, don't they? Isn't yeah. that the only place you get it? Well, people are using it other places too now, but um, but yes, they do. Just and to get a more defined. That's right. So it dissolves the fat there. Look, I think it's it's wonderful when it works well for people. I think. It's got a sort of a hit and miss race for me. Like if you use, if you're charging nine hundred to twelve hundred a treatment and it needs four treatments, I would question why you don't just have a little bit of lipo there. You know, mm. it's the same amount. It's done straight away, and you don't get any of the swelling. Kybella causes huge amounts of swelling, and that it's was, a pain. And you it, were as, like, so you're going to look like a bullfrog for ten days. For ten days, and I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is that bad, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it wasn't like I left the house and everything like that I recorded. Like, yeah. I think people might have just been like, oh, I didn't realise you had such a big double chin type thing for that time. And then it obviously just – We also use a little amount, lovely. Like, I don't use a lot. So mm. I probably didn't use the, the scheduled amount, to be fair. I didn't. I mean, that's – I'm going to be honest. I definitely didn't. Yeah. I would use sort of half the scheduled amount because I don't – you know, I just – yeah, I just – I didn't want you to have that huge amount of swelling and I felt that you didn't have that much need for it anyway. But um, (laughs) I just have this, like one of my hang-ups at the moment, just speaking really honestly, is my profile. Mm. And maybe it's just because I am, like it's my reality. I'm in media, like I get my photo taken a lot and when I'm side on, I just feel like there's really no definition. Like I just think, see, I'm touching it now. Yeah, See that? you're insane. <laughs> it's just literally, for folks who are listening, <laughs> this yeah, is what our there's a level of like. insanity here. Um, I think that's what this whole talk's about. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> Because we see pictures of celebrities who have these chiseled you have jaw a beautiful, lines. You have a beautiful defined jawline, to be honest with you. Um, but um, I understand that everyone has their own. I mean, body dysmorphia is, is not something, it's a disease. Everyone has it. Yeah. Every single person has some dysmorphic part that they go, oh. Dysmorphia means that you see it, but you don't see it as everyone else sees it. You know, mm. so you're seeing it, it. It's heightened to you. It's annoying to you. It's something that just it plays in your mind. And everyone has something where you go, "Oh, if I could only change that, everything would be perfect." I feel like mine changes every couple of years. And right <laughs> it now, it does. It does. It's my my meditation will help you. that. Yeah, <laughs> and this is the thing: is like that journey has been real for me. I will say with um, with that treatment, it hurt. You yeah, told really, me it, it was going to hurt. I had Panadine for it and numbing cream. Yeah. Numbing cream does nothing. And it was it. still – It and aches. I, you it's know, like I'm a toothache. Brave and I was like, come on, let's just go. And then I did it and I remember I grabbed your arm and I was like, Jesus. Holy shit. Yeah. So that one's one just if you're going to explore yeah, look, it I just think, to know. I think there's people who do Bokara a lot and they're absolutely really good at it. Um, I don't think there's a really good at it, to be honest with you. You just have to hit it in the specific areas. For me, it's a, it's it takes two to three treatments. I'm being very honest now, okay? Yeah. Um, it takes two to three treatments. I find it, it's very expensive for my clients. Um, I don't like the downtime. I don't like the pain of it. But other people swear by it and say this is the best thing ever. And like this is the thing about cosmetics. It has to be, you know, you have to trust the person you're doing it with. Mm. Um, 
you know, I'd be the worst person to talk about Kybella because I'm just going, oh, I'm not so sure. Well, sometimes the, I just think you're the worst person to be in cosmetics because you just say no to everything. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah you definitely could be making a lot more money, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but this yeah. is like, and probably a good segue into talking about duty of care because you obviously take yours really seriously. I think the biggest thing I want women to take away from this episode is you have to be informed and know what questions to ask whoever's treating you because if you go in and expect that you can trust them, sometimes they're incentivized on how many units they use, right? Not even sometimes. I mean, if we're going to get down to brass tacks and be honest here, this is a, this is a point that I'm going to make. And this is my thing. It's a subjective opinion. It can't be pushed on as anything else. But for me, the commercialization of, of cosmetic medicine – so that there's so many of these clinics around there's, there's this chain and that chain and this chain. The training of the nurses is, as I would say, uh, and the doctors is, is, is from, from my liking and my personal opinion, substandard is there for a commercial end. Um, and the, the worst part about those clinics is that they, the absolute driving force of those clinics, and as it should be is commerce, obviously, but is a driving force on a, on a personal level for the injectors that they, don't get really paid unless they sell a certain amount of product. And therefore, for me, it's a it's a negative incentive to actually treat the patient in an appropriate manner. And people say, well, we don't do that or whatever. But like if you're incentive, if you get getting paid based on the amount that you sell the patient, hmm. I don't feel that's an appropriate way to go into a consultation. Like, no. I mean, I, I own my own clinic. I'm a shit businessman, but at least I know <laughs> – you know, that, that what I get is I get people coming back. Do you know what I mean? You do. They come back because... And you get a lot of, like, referrals and recommendations because... Yeah, and I look, and, 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 and it's kind of annoying to do those things too because it would be so much easier sometimes just to go, yep, let's do that. But the thing is when you've got those, those clinics and someone's saying, you know, they're getting paid 30% of whatever they do, it's just like it's not the right driving force for appropriate delivery of medical care, mm. you know, and that's not – I'm not casting aspersions against any of those people that work at those clinics because I know tons of those nurses. I've trained 10 of those nurses that work there and they're mm. really, really good. I mean they're really good and they don't necessarily do that. But I just don't feel that the driving force should be those things. Yeah. And I feel that that is a questionable. So if you're in a clinic, any clinic, including my clinic, and you feel that the person is trying to push something onto you, be very wary you know, when someone goes in and has an assessment and they go, well, you need this, 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 and this, and it can really destroy someone's confidence. Oh, yeah. And that's like the goal of this is to make people feel more beautiful and better. Mm. And sometimes you need to tell the person, get the fuck out of here. You look yeah. great. Which is like, what you What are to you me? doing? Like, get out of here. I know. Um, before we finish, I did want to just make – options really clear for women. So yep. if you don't want to go down the path of injectables, but you want to feel youthful and, you know, you want an anti-aging solution, we did briefly touch on the Beauty Beast and PRP. Yeah. We can talk a bit more about those, but then other treatments that they might want to do that aren't injectables. Well, the most important thing is find yourself a good skin um, a skin specialist, yeah, you know, like a beauty therapist or, or a dermatician or, a, a, you know, just find someone who understands what your skin needs at any age mm. and think about, you know, the things which make your skin look good, which is like hydrations, lots of water. And it sounds very basic, but like vitamin C in the morning. Um, oh, yeah, that's vitamin big. C, you can make your own vitamin C serum really cheaply. How? 
Oh, you use a, a thing called a, a light HA. Um, uh, I use a thing called Hydrate that Ingrid makes, and we use a vitamin C powder that we get from, like, it's, you know the powder you put into a drink? Yeah. So you get, it's a, it's a, like a Blackmores or, or a MedLab vitamin C, and you just put a sprinkle of the C into the HA and you put it on, and it's the most powerful, effective vitamin C powder. It doesn't cost $200, it costs $45. And wow, it's, what good And it advice. lasts for six months. Um, if you're over the age of you know 40 and you're not having any more children, you have to be on Retin-A at least three times a week. Retin-A is really important. It's vitamin A. Yeah. And it will literally change your skin. It will change. Oh, it was huge for me. And I'm just not using it now as I go into trial right. for a baby. Right, very important. If you're, yeah. a, if you're going to have a child, please don't use Retin-A. Uh, Which is Retinol. A. Yeah, Retinol, mm. um, Vitamin A, Retinol, Retinoic Acid, Retinol. Um, just don't do that. It's, mm. um, it's teratogenic. So it can can you problems. use Retinol when you're breastfeeding? No. Look... You can. I mean, the, the danger with retinol is that it's been shown to have fetal malformation effects. So conceivably you can, but, you know, do you need to? Yeah. yeah I mean, maybe might do it once a week. I, I don't believe vitamin A crossing in the breast milk is going to cause a problem, but I haven't done the research on it and I don't like to talk about stuff I don't know. Yeah. So, but I think, no, people do. I think it's not going to be a big issue if I look at a common sense point of view, but mm. I haven't done the research, so please don't quote me on that. No. Um. But certainly, you know, using C in the morning will help you against UV radiation. Um, it helps reactive oxidation species not damage your skin because most of the damage in your skin comes from things called reactive oxidation species, which are a byproduct of living and breathing. Mm-hmm. And they just come in, they rip out the DNA and they twist collagen and elastin. Is that free radicals? Yeah, free radicals. Yeah. Reactive oxidation species, free radicals. So using, like having uh, a really, uh, a diet high in polyphenols, so all the colors of the rainbow. You can literally see someone who has lots of uh, different colored fruit and vegetable. You can see in their skin people who have polyphenols and people who don't. Mm. Um, uh, hot water, 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 water is really yeah. important. And I'm um, learning as well, just like, and this is more of an Ayurvedic thing, but just like warm water, yeah. like you don't have to have lemon in it. Like don't give your body something else to do. Just hydrate. Yep. Hydrate. Yeah. Lemon's nice in the morning sometimes just a, yeah. as a cleanser, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Warm water is, that it, it, it is, um, Ayurvedic man is so interesting, isn't it? Like it's, we could go on forever about that. I know. I've been finding yeah. it myself. I literally... I've had some treatments with Ayurvedic medicine. It freaks me out because it makes you feel. I'm going, how does this work? And I go, oh, it's only four thousand years old, so it's yeah, you know, so it's about three thousand years older than my medicine. So I should probably shut up and just relax. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, so you were talking about what? Well, just we like do? other alternatives. To other alternatives, like yeah. Look, there's there's so many things, and it depends on your age. Um, mm. PRP is uh, a thing where we use a, a rotating needles in the skin to stress the skin out. The best way to rebuild skin is to cause minimal amounts of stress. Skin is a uh, skin is is basically a, a connective tissue. It's the same as bone and the same as muscle, and it has the exact same properties as it. They're all connective tissues. They come from the same embryonic source, and they have the exact same properties. If you stress them in the right way and not too much, you'll actually rebuild them. So think of the muscle being worked at the gym. It gets a better blood supply. It looks better. It has better function. Okay. Mm. But if you use too big a weight and you lift it and you break the muscle, that muscle will never be the same again. Mm -hmm. You've broken it. So skin's the same. Be very careful of what the stress you put under. Make sure the people putting under the stress know what they're doing. Otherwise you'll break it and you'll cause scarring. Yes. So that's important. Particularly important with lasers. Okay. Mm. I mean, and lasers are just topic. confusing. I'm yeah. just, I just find the whole laser situation 
I've had lasers before and I don't even know what I've had. You know, like <laughs> I know one of them made my pigmentation worse. Most of them that are light activated can do that. Oh. I mean, look, this is a discussion that could go on for hours. Yes. But, but lasers, um, please, please, please don't ever do them except in winter. Just lasers are light activators, okay? Just use them in winter. People that use them outside of winter, just be wary of because it's like you don't want to light activate the skin when you're putting it into a high UV index. So please just be wary of that. That's one thing. If you can take anything away, be wary of the, of the lasers being used after mm. sort of September, October. Mine are shut down now for six months. So that's oh, okay. It. Not even an option. <laughs> um, okay. We've come to the end. I ask each of my guests a final question. Right. Oh, shit. But you haven't listened, so you won't know what it is. Oh. So as I was saying, offline is an exploration of self. Who are we without the labels that we put on ourselves and that society puts on us? And when we're sitting in our true self without all of that, who are we? And so I ask you, Dr. Jeremy, (laughs) when you're sitting in your true self, who are you? Hmm. Damn. Stumped me. Who am I in my true self? I don't know. I guess I'm... I guess in my true self, I'm someone that, that that likes to take something beautiful and make it a tiny bit better. And I mean that in every work part of my life. So I work in film and and plays and and I have children and I do a job where I get to see. Like I really like people. Mm. I like faces, and so my job has always been. I think if I'm in my true self, I make things a. Uh, a little bit better. I hope I can make things a little bit better. So mm. uh, I'm like a helper molecule. <laughs> That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, thank you for being on my podcast. Thanks, Alison, for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. <laughs>